wasn't him, Charlie. It was you. Remember that night in the garden? You came down my dressing room and said, Kid, this ain't your night. We're going for the price on Wilson. You remember that? This ain't your night. My night? I could have taken Wilson apart. So what happens? He gets the title shot outdoors in a ballpark, and what do I get? A one-way ticket to Palookaville. You was my brother, Charlie. You should have looked out for me a little bit. You should have taken care of me just a little bit so I wouldn't have to take them dives for the short end money. Well, I had some bets down for you. You saw some money. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Instead of a bum. Which is what I am. Let's face it. So that was the faithful words of Marlon Brando in On the Waterfront, 1954 film. It came to me, um, the reason why this film came to me is it's spoken about as one of the premier leading man performances of all time. Um... And one of the films that you have to see once. And I think the thing that I'll just touch on first before we go around the group is that <clears throat> as a film goer, uh, uh, you know, being born in the 90s, um, the things that I know Marlon Brando for are The Godfather and Apocalypse Now, the, the sort of late stage Brando. But obviously it had such a, extended career and it was really the thing that I took the most out of that film was it was like seeing you know it's like seeing highlights of Don Bradman play or something it's like something that you have heard and it's so storied and it's so um historical and it's just it was just a beautiful experience to see him in his prime in his youth and giving one of the performances of of a lifetime um so that was on the waterfront. Yeah, I um, I absolutely agree. Like, uh, I feel like context is really significant in rewatching movies like this and um, appreciating what was going on. Because, like you said, one of the the first and foremost uh, examples of a leading man going above and beyond and really taking a performance and and kind of controlling the movie with it and in the what 70 years since it's been done a number of times and you could argue that it's been expected when these dramatic roles come along but when you compare Brando's performance to others in the movie and others at the time it's really you can you can appreciate that you you have to look for it but uh, given that context but you can appreciate that it's like in leagues of its own it's 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 well above and beyond everything else that's got every other performance that's happening in the movie and, and it's really actually something spectacular when you can look and try to appreciate it so just really stoked that I finally actually got to watch this movie yeah. um, on Wikipedia this is described as a watershed film I'm not I would like to get Connor's further thoughts to probably do a bit of research on why it is considered such. Um, 
I haven't seen many films from the 50s. Another one that comes to mind is Maltese Falcon. I haven't seen a lot of Brando's catalogue. Um, I can appreciate what Connor had to say, that from a historical perspective, I guess it's cool to tick that film um, off the list and haven't seen it. Having said that, um, I don't think I was particularly blown away by his performance. I don't think I was particularly blown away by the film. Um, but I think that probably does need to be read into the context of I haven't seen the other films that were nominated for Best Picture in 1954. And there may be a very large drop-off. Um, but that film, compared to films I've seen from the 60s, from the 70s, um, I didn't feel it. It was, a, it was an uninteresting story. It was a very familiar narrative, perhaps less familiar in 1954. Yeah. Um, I didn't particularly find any of the other characters interesting. Um, Brando's performance at like, the scene that you just played in the car, I think was probably his best scene. Um, the, the, for example, the, the courtroom drama scene, which the film was building towards in a lot of ways, and then it was him just saying, right, right, about five times, and then the scene was over. It was just really strange, I thought, some of the director's choices in how certain the points of emphasis in the film were portrayed, um, I, who know nothing about film, would have perhaps done it a bit differently. Um, obviously, the, the gift of hindsight. But yeah, my first impression was I don't think I'm going to give that a particularly high rating, and I wasn't particularly infatuated with it. Yeah, right. I think. Um, yeah, I think so you have more commentary though on the watershed moment film. I don't, Is that because of his leading role? I don't actually, because okay. I tried to keep. I tried to keep pretty. Um, yeah, fair enough. Absent, yeah, looking good, so that I didn't yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of did sort of sell myself on going into it for the first time. So I haven't done a lot of research, and I, but I'll talk on what I think would be the watershed moment, um, sort of. After that, but just touching back on Zan's point, I think it how it turns into you into your point as well, Stefan, is that this film is. And there are, film, there are other films like it, but the film is so solely focused on Teddy Malloy's character, Brando's character. Terry. Terry, sorry. Yeah. There, there is no... There's no, there's no second point of view. It's a singular point of view film, and it is a, an ethical and um, moral dilemma um, is really the height of the tension of the film. So it all comes down to his performance really the the crux of the film is is entirely on his shoulders and i think that and i think that gives the weight i think that gives weight to to sort of the strength of the film but i think you have to consider it in the context of of 1954 i think this probably yeah, comes to the concept of of a watershed moment because the 60s and the 70s are so excellent in cinema um arguably i mean we've all viewed a number of the 70s classics and we hold them as some of the best films of all time and I suppose I there are certain people in this room who might have a little bit more knowledge of pre-1950s cinema than I but to my inference just on my inference would be that the watershed moment is that this is perhaps the turn from a more <clears throat> reproduction of stage plays and a bit more jilted um, melodramatic cinema to something that eventually it's the kernel of the sort of films that that 
that were perfected in the 60s and 70s and, and that we're making repetitions of today. That would yeah. be my inference. Yeah, that would make sense. I, just to me, it was like, I think, you know, I have the, the benefit of some of the other mobster slash corruption slash union films that we've seen. The Departed comes to, to mind, for example, where it's, it's such a sophisticated storyline. There's so many moving parts which I have to take into account that this is 1954 and the audience probably wasn't ready for a film of that level of intricacy and interwoven storytelling. They needed a more straightforward narration, um, which, which I, you know, I have to give it points for at the time, but it is just very hard to put myself in that year, at that time, at that audience, to probably give this the props that it deserves. And, but that aside, which I think is probably, you know, perhaps a less fair criticism of it, Brando just didn't really do it for me. Like, that, I think that's the big takeaway for me, was that, like, the storyline stuff that I can kind of justify, the criticism, that is, of the storyline, I just didn't think his performance was particularly engaging. I didn't... There wasn't, there wasn't like, those, those killer lead role performances, you know, whether it's of a... A Joaquin Phoenix, uh, a Jack Nicholson, a Jack Lemon, whoever, like, comparing this to The Apartment, like, I just don't think his performance is anywhere in the same league as Jack Lemon's performance in The Apartment. Um, and I acknowledge they're completely different films, um, but he, I don't know, he just, he's kind of got that same smug, charming look on his face in every scene. Um, I just, yeah, I just, I'd be, I'd be interested in other people's thoughts on his performance because it didn't tickle me. I don't know. I mean, Dan raised the point on the pod, and I should sorry, sorry before I should add that like I am a fan of his work in The Godfather and Apocalypse Now. Yeah, Dan raised the point when we were um, when we were watching the film that he's just he's just got such a he's got such an interesting face, and I personally watching the film was just drawn, was drawn to him the entire time. And you've got a gorgeous um, leading lady across from him, but he's taking up, you know, he's taking, he's eating up so much of the screen to me. And I think that's just the, his magnetism and he's, he's hampered in the role in that he's playing this sort of lovable idiot. And that's the, his character, that's the, the, the role of his character is that he can be this, uh, naive, uh, you know, dumb bum, um, ex-boxer who genuinely, because you have to play the fact that he's a good guy, but he gets involved in this bad situation. So he has to sort of have this, and the way they justify that is that you have this sort of dumb puppy dog sort of aspect of him. So I think he's, you know, you're not going to get, you're not going to get poetic dialogue from him because he doesn't have the in universe he doesn't have the mm. the ability to provide it and then you do get the the one moment of um of something that is truly beautiful which is what we just listened to before and it comes at the crux of his he's he's every his life has has truly come down it's it's effectively his death and it is a cut a very carthic moment What's the word I'm looking for? Sorry. Um, cathartic. cathartic moment. Um, and it all sort of comes out and that's the sort of the definitive 
the divinity of his soul sort of all pours out in that one moment. But for the rest of the film, you're right, he does have this sort of, the same sort of charm because he's a very simple person. And I think, although it would, obviously I would have loved to have seen him in a more, you know, he's got more intelligence and he's got more wit and got more charm. I'd love to see Brando do that. I still think that to the character he was playing, it was still a good performance of that type of character. But I do agree that it's not, it's not the most, it hasn't got the most scope for a brilliant performance. But yeah. I think he did really, yeah. I think he did well with, with what he did. Yeah. So. And of course, I keep going back to it, like in context for, for the time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I would agree with, is that uh, the, the, the depth of the character on paper isn't that significant it's like a it's a it's a boxer who's like you know in this situation and doing his best but the depth that brando portrays him with um especially in the context of all the other characters in the film and yeah i agree i don't haven't seen that many movies from the early 50s but presumably from characters at that time as well um like the other characters are just like quite one-dimensional so in the compared to what what is happening with those other characters what brando is doing on screen with his character is just seems very significant and very like not profound but like quite powerful when it, when even prior to the 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 crux that we listen to you can see that like he's dealing with these issues from his past where like he's he's resentful and he's like I guess hopeful like wondering what could have happened had he not been in this position where he was forced to take the dive and so when when you get to that moment where he's expressing how he's actually felt you're not taken aback by you're not surprised like where did this come from it's very much like a yeah I've I felt that he's had this in him for the last half hour as he's saying it it makes sense that his character is at this point when a gun's pulled on him yeah. right. so I think yeah. it's, it's it's those sorts of things in the context of the early 50s film that just like make it like quite an impressive performance to me yeah, so I found his character super one dimensional and it wasn't that's not necessarily a criticism because some of the best characters of all time are one dimensional Rocky is one dimensional Every character Arnold Schwarzenegger has ever played is one-dimensional. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a poor performance. It's the, fa- the fact that it was one-dimensional and I still didn't really feel the arc. I still didn't really feel the heroism inside him. I was like waiting for this moment where they portrayed like some moral depth to his character. That like Obviously, there was the taxi scene where... But it, even then, it's essentially that he's saying, I could have been something because in I could have been... A good boxer. I mean, that's not really the point. I don't feel of his character. It should have been more like, I could have done the right thing. I could have done the moral thing. I could have made the right decision. I could have stood for something. Whilst it all just seemed to be revolving around like, I squandered this opportunity to be a famous boxer. He kept talking about taking the dive and stuff. And maybe that's what they were trying to portray. Well, I swear, like, but I just didn't feel time. that, yeah. and I just didn't get that, and it wasn't there in the dialogue or the acting. Yeah. So I, I don't have an issue with him being a one-dimensional character. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think. I think. I think what they're trying to get at is the fact of, you know, he is that point. That, that's it, when he comes back to talking about that point. That's the turning point in 
his life in the sense that up until that point, he's been boxing, he's had, you know, value of, of output. What he's doing is his own and his own free choice and his own free will. Very valuable things as we've, as we've previously discussed offside this pod. And it's that one point where he makes that contract with the devil and, you know, with... Well, he doesn't even make a contract. He's like, no, no, he has to do it. Exactly. Like, yeah. you know, in the sense of he acquiesces to that point and from then onwards, yeah. it's a it's a slippery slope. Again, another concept that some um, that we're very familiar with at this time of yeah. life. Um, it's a slippery slope downwards and then he f- ends up coming to a point where his actions have caused another man to die, a friend of his, a colleague of his, and then eventually his brother to die, and then he has to stand up and say, I should have said something back at that very first moment and I've let it come to here, and now I have to make a stand. Yeah. Yeah, so I didn't think it was so much about him um, talking about his potential as a boxer for his own success. I think it was... It was more to do with the fact that he relinquished his own decision making and his own autonomy. In yeah, see, that's a bit just well, because they, they say they say you know he's a so he he starts the quote. He says, "I could add class, right?" Yeah. And he and he says, "I could have been somebody." And everyone that's, says, that's "I'm a, a bum," like because yeah. it's like so he's he gave up what he had. He was a boxer. And he had those, you know. But he was only a boxer because he was a fuckhead in school, and that yeah, was the yeah, only yeah. thing he was ever good at. But and so and so he gave that up. So everyone's yeah. like, "You gave up the only thing you're ever good at. Like, what are you good for now? Yeah. You're a bum. Like that's it." And you're getting called a bum by the people that made you give up the only yeah. thing you're ever good at. Exactly. And so that's yeah, the, it's like not interesting. It's like not that interesting to me. But I think it's I just, because, but like, you have to, in the context of 1950, like, I mean, obviously, like, you know, you got Shakespeare and you got, you know, Broadway plays in the in the twenties and the thirties, but. Like, it's, it's, it's almost a seminal tale, and we've seen it play out in, in our lives since then, but... Oh, it was a classic story. You know, yeah. Maybe, maybe was, this is where it all comes from. Yeah. And there was definitely moments in that, that last scene where he is beaten up as fuck and walks into the, the gate that they're opening and it's flashing into all the people that are standing on the side. How many films have you seen that exact scene in? Like, as I was watching it, I was like, holy fuck, this is like one of the most iconic scenes that's been ripped off. 50 million times in film and this is probably the first time it's ever been done well you know what's really interesting is um, you look at Brando's aesthetic in the film the jacket um, he looks great in the first jacket and he looks even better in the second jacket that he wears in the final scene and you look at stuff like Drive for example another autistic lead exactly but you see how Drive is like uh, it's almost a complete homage to to oh yeah Yeah. yeah, you'd have to say I have not seen that before. That her drive is clearly a massive homage to this. Yeah, and so and and, and there's there's other examples as well. But like, a, you know, so the theatrical the theatrical uh, importance of this film is can't be understated as well in mm-hmm. terms of who what its influence and what it's led to and yeah, the influence of the film I felt. In multiple parts, um, yeah, it's just it's a peculiar feeling when you're watching something and you're processing that. I've seen this like a hundred times in yeah. later art. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. So, how do you think you're about assessing the significance of it? 
given that this is probably one of the first times it's been done or done really well. Yeah, well, that, that's... But yeah. It's been done countless times in the last seven years. Yeah, I kind of ticked that box halfway through the film as being like, oh, I can appreciate that element of it. But this is talked about as like one of his best films. And if that's one of his best performances, then I might need to go back to the drawing board and what I thought Marlon Brando was. Is the key point. Yeah, well, but I mean, obviously he's got my, more minor roles, like more secondary roles in The Godfather and Apocalypse, but those roles in their, you know, supporting nature are... Oh, I would, I would like to know how many lines he has in Godfather. I feel like it's pretty... Yeah, I suppose it's quite a lot. Yeah, I would, I would think that it's quite a lot. Interesting. So we discussed about the film he's clearly got um, prosthetics on his eyebrows uh, mm. to indicate the boxing sort of damage that he suffered uh, and maybe the first of, uh, of a very notable prosthetic aspect for Marlon Brando loves a good yeah. loves a good prosthetic with the con balls in the mouth yeah, 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 yeah. And, and here loves a good physical um, he, d- he does something to his face in Apocalypse Now as well he's got his yeah. fully shaped yeah. hand and everything but he's done something to his face yeah. I remember as well yeah I can't remember, I can't put my finger, but when, as I was watching it, I was like. So how do we feel about the, um, the backdrop of the story being a classic? Um, and I think, you know, Dan summarised it perfectly when I said, is this a union scene or a mob scene? And Dan said, they're the same thing. Um, yeah. Do we have anything further to explore on, on that point? And, well, I think, I mean... Because obviously some people in this room claimed that that was a pro-union film in that the workers represented what the union should represent. But I think another take could be the fact that none of the unions are that. Exactly. Is that might detrimental There's a few commentary on that system. I like to, I like to live my, my life based on a few fundamental principles. Liberty of personhood to the extent that it doesn't cause harm to others is a fundamental one for me. And another fundamental one is that Power corrupts and ultimate power corrupts ultimately. And that is the fundamental belief that I believe in. And I think if you have these fundamental philosophical views, you can frame your view on society to the point where you don't need statistics or evidence or examples. You just know that if X power exists, X corruption is going to exist. And and I think that's evident here in the sense of any time you have a unionisation movement it naturally gets corrupted. I mean, we look at things like, you know, even like the things that we have been involved in, such as certain university students' societies, and you can just see how quickly that power goes to people's head and in something quite as silly as, as organising a few drinks for the, the student body and potentially running a few superfluous meetings and programmes that really don't do anything other than puff people's egos and resumes up. And you can quite clearly see how even those processes can corrupt some, some people. And, um, and I think the film is, I'm not sure if it's trying to even really say it, I think it's almost just evidencing a fact of that these concepts are subject to corruption and, and, and will always end that way. And I think, you know, I'd love to... Is, well, presumably uh, at this time, obviously, factually... The mob and gangsters played a huge role in the union movement in both forming unions um, and growing their power. But at the same time, this would have been a time in history where 
very high percentage of the American workforce was unionised. So I do wonder, you know, mums and dads going to see this film um, and films perhaps portraying... I guess when you go and see a film today, you're not going to leave the film thinking that you learned something historical. So even if I go and see a historical film, when I go and see um, 1912, for example... I'm not... Was it 1914? 1912? 1917. 1917. When I go through 1917, I'm not going there for, you know, historical recollection of World War I. I'm going there for the artistic experience of the film and what the director's choices are to portray that story, which is why Dunkirk is such a shit film. But, um, but that's a different conversation. But going, you know, in 1954, going to the cinemas, I think they, the films would have carried... Exactly, than they do now, and I do wonder how an audience would have interpreted that film from a union slash mob perspective. We're in a post-truth society today, in the sense of our... The reality of our... The the media system, the documentary system, the film system is so abstract from any sort of genuine communication of, of history that... People should, and and most people I think do, realize that it's it's all just an artifice. Yeah, um, and I think that's probably a safer approach. Um, I mean, even from uh, the perspective of watching a documentary, I would recommend applying a critical eye to anything that's being portrayed. Exactly. Well, you have to. Yeah, and it gets to this point where, like, you know, we brought it up. I brought it up in a joking way just before we started the pod, but. As soon as you see something that you know intimately, like something about our profession or something about a particular circumstance that, say, a particular political person that you've personally followed quite closely, and then you see a documentary on that topic or an article on that topic, it's very clear to see, hold on, what they've just said as if it was an undisputed fact is actually highly disputed. And the world is and so the only conclusion there is that well fuck like the world is a is a stage and, and everything is is controlled and what the fuck can we do to stop it but it's it's a grim thought but the more people who are aware of the concept the more the people you can get together and surround them and throw them in the water <laughs> metaphorically speaking it's a good metaphor what do we think of uh, her performance, Eva Marie Saint's performance? I thought she was quite good. I thought she was quite good. I thought she was well cast in that role, in, in her physical appearance and the innocence and you know, longing for, for righteousness that she portrayed. And I also thought her performance, um, whilst quite overshadowed by Brando in a lot of the scenes, um, she kind of played off him quite well in that the contrast between the characters built good chemistry and was like quite interesting like I actually really wanted them I felt something in that scene when the car drove down the alleyway um, yeah. I thought her performance was quite good I don't think there was too much for her to do in the overarching plot of the film she just had to contrast Brando yeah but I really thought there was a significance to her and Brando in that scene they were walking through the park and doing that like first initial meet kind of dance yep. she dropped the glove he picked it up 
talking about when they were young. That was a good scene. That whole thing. That, that was, that's that a very was a great scene. typical old movie scene, yeah. though. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, thought, yeah. The, the people have met now, we need to have this scene where, like, he pursues her yeah. and she's hesitant and eventually yeah. kind of winks at him and it's like, oh, this is going to go somewhere. That, yeah. that scene is, like, you know... Done a million times. Yeah. yeah, I think they. I think she had a lot of. I think she had a lot of strength and autonomy for the sort of character that she was, um, and I thought that was very positive for a film of its if it's era. And I have to admit that going into that film, I would have said like a woman getting absolutely slapped around was paying about dollar twenty. And she did. And no slapping. There was. I think she got pushed well, out of the way once. Yeah, she got pushed. She didn't get the. Yeah, so I'm saying. I'm saying. So yeah. Yeah, she did. Yeah, well, yeah. I lost that bet. Um, speaking of the, the scenes between her and, and Brando, um, I think the two that really stuck out to me was the one you already mentioned at the end where he's doing the walk and he's, you know, absolutely got a concussion and can't see straight. The other one was uh, when he tells her that he had a significant role yeah. in her brother's death and you've got the... Um, the boat doing the horn, the close-up yeah. in his mouth, you're reading his lips, and her breaking down when they're on the on, on the wharf. Like, just creatively, those... Like, I don't actually know if I've seen a scene like the one where he's, like, yeah. confessing to her. I thought since. the whole film f- from... You know, when you think of the context of... And this goes back to this 1954 element of it, and we haven't... I haven't personally watched a lot of those films, and... Um, so yeah, I'm speaking from a lack of experience here, but the way that they they had a, it was very experimental and well, not experimental, but it was very broad in in what they could do. Like you just take a look at that that scene right there, the one where he first tells her. You got all those unique aspects of yeah, all this you you've got this cacophonous sound which is sort of emblematic and kind of stress. No, no, but but the way that they cut it. So then you you have the priest and the priest is behind. Yeah. Um, the fence and then it comes down it's got this upward shot from him from down below like there's a lot of effort put into all those different camera shots that in say a, a potentially earlier film it's just okay we're going to have a sound stage and we're going to have yeah. angles facing this one direction yeah. and then you know you, you look at those the angles down from the apartments and up from up to the apartments like there were all these all these weird angles and stuff that would have the director would have had to put a lot of time into and say oh, I, I want to do this for this shot like mm-hmm. there's a lot of conscious effort put into that that would have cost a lot of money and that's maybe a back to the watershed moment it's maybe that that broadening Extra of film detail. is to to portray some of those concepts that really takes it to the next step yeah but I don't think that scene with the boat going when he's telling you is particularly unique scene because like you could list a hundred films where there's like the scene where someone's getting killed or they're trying to communicate something and like cars are going out in between and they're staring at each yeah. other and like obviously they came after this film so at this time it, it may have been but I've definitely seen scenes like that yeah. lots of times yeah yeah I think every Fast and Furious has that scene uh, yeah, great. So, in what other ways is this movie like Fast and Furious? Yeah. Uh, Vin Diesel put on a different, uh, similar performance. There was one token that guy. Yeah. They, yeah. They, Paul Walker and Marlon Brando have both one dimensional actors. The police union was crashing down on the street racing. Yeah. Do you want to talk about anything else? Are we going to ratings or Do you want to talk about anything else? Communism? 
Yeah. I would love to see some class takes on that on my film. Um, it'd be very interesting. But um, you know, I had a handshake deal with Sinatra to play the lead uh, when Brando initially turned it down. Sinatra. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Fell through. Maybe because the mob. Sinatra was too busy impregnating women to to do that film. <laughs> Brando, however, retains it. Alright, Zan, what's your adding? What'd you have? <sighs> yeah, I really like. I I I liked it. It's and this thing, it's difficult because I agree. While the plot left a lot to be desired, I do really think Brando's performance is exceptional. Um, but outside of that element, it is a bit like what else is there that makes you want to come back and experience it again but I still very much enjoyed it I still thought it was great um, and in terms of cinema history just a fantastic movie to watch at least once um, yeah just really liked it probably give it about 7, 10.5 yeah I don't need to rehash any of the reasons why I didn't like it um I'll give it a six. Okay. I um, I was in the car this morning driving to work and I was talking with my partner Tani about um, what film we were choosing. Um, Cause I jokingly suggested that she should watch the film with us because um, she wasn't doing anything tonight. And then I said, oh, but it's a 1954 film. And Tani's one of those um, people who hates films that are old um, Lydia's so the same dude I have to convince Lydia to watch it from like the 90s literally yeah so immediately scoffed at it and I said oh well it's supposed to be one of the seminal you know one of the best performances of all time and now I am glad that I didn't make Tiny watch that because she would have absolutely hated it <laughs> but from yeah, my perspective from my perspective I do think it was an excellent performance I'm not sure if I would say it is like you know the best fawns of all time or one of the best fawns of all time but I thought it was an excellent Marlon Brando performance and in the context of when it was made and its age I think we have to appreciate um, even despite the um, the basic narrative or the narrative that to us in the 2021 audience feels slightly played out I would say um, I would say personally I would give it an 8 out of 10 Dancing. That's good. Yeah.